nurse. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Edo, and things to episode 110 of of the Muppet Trek podcast. I ask anyone to say of the Muppet Trek podcast three times fast, and I bet they can't. (laughs) I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve of the Muppet Trek podcast. The Muppet Trek podcast of the Muppet Trek podcast. <laughs> We're here to confer, contrast, and compare our two favorite franchises. Jarman, remind those folks what those are. Those are the Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the next generation of the Muppet Trek podcast. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but this week, all the other weeks we lie to you. This week, it's very special. It is special. Because uh, Melissa Manchester... Who, at one time, oh, she wait, was actually we didn't we what, didn't say what, what uh, shows were episodes we're doing. What are we doing? Oh yeah, <laughs> Melissa Manchester. I did mine kind of. But well, what's the Star Trek episode? Justice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Melissa Manchester? Well, she's of the Muppet Trek podcast. Oh damn it, um, <laughs> Melissa Manchester. Well, one time she was a backup singer for Bette Midler, but she eventually broke into her own solo career she had a ton of top 10 hits including midnight blue come in from the rain but she had her biggest hit which was a cover of a peter allen song she performs here don't cry out loud it was like a classic anthem uh but what does our audience know her from well if you don't know her music you may know the creepy animated movie little nemo adventures in slumberland oh yeah she performs the opening theme of that movie rings a bell so if you have seen little nemo adventures in slumberland you have heard melissa manchester whether you know her or not (laughs) but what's she up to this week on the muppet show well on stage uh there's almost no backstage plot to speak of Mm. i'll just get that out of the way now almost none to speak of uh on stage kermit introduces melissa manchester but first some tumbling alpine skaters singing tumbling tumbleweeds up next, Melissa hits the stage with a trip uh, of uh, with like a dancing clowns and a troop uh, of performers. And there's a girl on the high wire and she sings her hit. Don't cry out loud with a giant mouth. <laughs> uh, up next, we get Beauregard on a rocking chair playing Oh Susanna as he rocks to a fever pace. Following this, we have a Muppet News flash beef fell on Wall Street and cows fall from the sky onto the announcer. Pigs in Space takes the stage next. A mysterious being turns out to be uh, a door-to-door galactic salesman. Uh, next up is Fozzie and Pops, I wrote, because it's so weird to see them together. Uh, Pops <laughs> performs with Fozzie sort of performing Once in Love with Amy. It's mostly his doing it. It's actually a real upbeat number. I liked it. Um, backstage, so like the skiers get injured. and But then Melissa and Floyd Pepper do an impromptu backstage music number, Whenever I Call You Friend. And they're joined by a bevy of other Muppets. Um, so then it's, um, then a threesome of birds pluck out. How much is that doggy in the window? Uh, we find ourselves in the Swedish Chef kitchen. Spring chickens explode everywhere. Kermit introduces Melissa one last time. She hits the stage with a Spanish-inspired rendition of Your Cheating Heart as a woman's scorn is taken out on Lynn Cogsbrob. With a bull. Kermit thanks Melissa one last time. A hang gliding yodeler crashes the scene. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. So, like, what did you think of this one? (laughs) 
can tell how you're feeling about it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, it's funny because I do feel kind of the same way I did about the Paul Simon episode and that it was she didn't really the, the guest star didn't really stretch her skill set too much. She didn't play any characters or even have that lavish of costume changes. But she's a really good performer, incredibly good voice. And I recognize at least, you know, one or two of the songs. Um, and she can't really act like Paul Simon. So those parts weren't as strong. But when she turned on the singing, it was really good. But, you know, just like there wasn't a lot of Muppet synergy with what she was doing, nor was she really trying to do much. And there of wasn't that. enough backstage plot to loop everything together in some way. Yeah. We uh, had I that more before. I hadn't drawn the parallel, but you're absolutely right about the comparison between this and Paul Simon. Cause you get like that opening number, which is pretty good, but it's a song. So like his was Scarborough fair. So they did a fair, right? Hers was don't cry out loud, which is literally about a circus. So they did clowns and the circus, creepy, weird clowns and sad song to open the um, with. <laughs> some, there are a few good things in this. So because there's not really much backstage plot to, to speak of, we get a lot of stuff in this episode. We get like that little Beauregard number. We get a Muppet news flash. We get pigs in space. We get Fozzie and that pops performance. I like that a lot. It was great. Yeah. Um, we get the birds, we get Swedish chef's kitchen. Like we get like three standards in this episode. That's getting rarer and rarer in these late seasons to mm -hmm. get all these standards. Um, so in that regard, maybe some of this is salvageable, but you're right. The rest is a shtick. Yeah. And like, I, I did like the you know, Muppet news flash was right where it should be. The pigs in space number was funny with the, you know, the salesman space alien, um, and pull pops thing. And I, I just really did the. The uh, skiing number was really cool and, and really technically amazing. Yeah, I love Tumble and Tumbleweed. Yeah, that was so, I a mean, great, great opener. I think it for me, it does pull it up to a kind of medium episode, but it would have otherwise been a pretty boring kind so of. So the Muppets bailed this one out. Yes, the Muppets. She didn't ruin it. Like she wasn't bad or anything. It's just that right, she didn't right. do anything impressive. Kind of like Paul Simon. Like he didn't ruin the episode. He just kind of like was he was Paul Simon, you know? <laughs> so it's was, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like when you make a cup of coffee and put a pack of sugar in it and then you forgot whether you put a pack of sugar in it. So you put one another pack in and then you drink it and you're like, ah, that's definitely two packs. You still drink it. It's not bad. It's just not the way you want it. It's not it. bad. It's not the way you wanted it. And you're going to get the next one right. But you got to get through this one. <laughs> it still has caffeine in there somewhere. Thanks, Melissa Manchester. <laughs> For your uh, middling episode. <laughs> so music this week, uh, Tumble and Tumbleweeds. It was first recorded by a group called the Sons of the Pioneers. But it's been covered by many, many times, including by Bing Prosby. Pat Boone and even the Supremes. Mm. Uh, Don't cry out loud. This was written by Peter Allen. Uh, he had like a marginal career through the early to mid seventies. He co-wrote Arthur's theme from Arthur, which featured both Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli, both of which Muppet Show guests. Oh uh, yes. Uh, oh Susanna, written by Stephen Foster. He also wrote uh, Camp Town Races, Old Folks at Home, and My Old Kentucky Home. Those classics. Classics. Once in Love with Amy by Frank Lesser, an American songwriter most known for writing the lyrics for Guys and Dolls. Yeah. Uh, Whenever I Call You Friend, written by Melissa uh, herself and Kenny Loggins on a, apparently a random one-off collaboration, um, but performed by Loggins with, uh, made famous, Loggins and Fleetwood Mac's Stevie Nicks. Ah. The, the Melissa Manchester did release her version, but it wasn't the version that made it big. Uh, how much is that doggy in the window? Recorded by Patty Page, nineteen fifty-two. This was what number one Billboard chart topper. <laughs> <laughs> how much? Take that in, folks. Think about Kanye and Drake and Beyonce 
and they once held the prestigious spot of how much is that doggy in the window. That's how exciting life was in the 1950s. <laughs> That's how exciting life was <laughs> in 1952. Um, I often hum or whistle that song for some reason. It pops into my head all the time. How much is that doggy in the wind? I don't know why. It's weird. Uh, Your Cheatin' Heart by Western legend Hank Williams. Williams recorded 225 songs in five years. Damn. During the height of his career. Of those, he wrote 128. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's just nuts. So, Darren, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment in this week's episode. I think it has to go to the Vienna Downhill Boys Choir because that thing was just pretty impressive. Um, the whole skiing number. Uh, that is also what I gave it to. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen them do the black screen effect before. This felt, this was a ton of movement and it felt like it was super successful. They didn't have the issues they've had some other times. And because of it, they, it sold the hell out of it. Yeah, it was just it was a lot so going good. on. <laughs> and the movement was all great, and it really evoked them moving. Yeah, and it was tying with the music really well and just yeah, like, yeah. very impressively um, done. So, yeah, I gave it to them, too, the, the skiers. Absolutely. We agreed. So, Jarman, tell us about this week's Next Generation episode, Justice. Justice. Uh, well, we have your Dr. Crusher trying to convince Picard to let the crew take shore leave on a planet called Rubicon Rubicon 3. Uh, which seems like this Eden-like planet where everything's beautiful and the weather's fantastic and all the people are beautiful and want to have sex all the time. <laughs> so that's always an added bonus, I guess. Picard agrees, but only after letting an away team check things out first to make sure everything is safe. He then even says sends Wesley down to see if what kind of things the kids could get up to if they go on shore leave there. So he sends Riker, Worf, Troy, Yar, and Wesley down to the planet, and they're welcomed by a very... Uh, friendly emissaries who are like making out with them and like saying, oh, let's go have some fun. And they want to give them a tour of the nearby village and they send Wesley off to go hang with the other teenagers. Uh, meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, the ship is sensing something above the planet that they can't be see with their naked eye. But when they send out a communication signal, this ghost like ship station thing appears and it sends this bubble orb into the ship to try to communicate with them. Um, and it, it says the Edo, the Edo people below on the planet are its children and it doesn't want the Enterprise to mess with them. But then it mind melds with data and knocks them out to, to learn everything about them through his positronic brain. So he gets knocked out and we go back to the planet where Yar and Worf are talking to the locals and they find out that they have strict capital punishment there for any law that is broken. And that's how they have such a paradise of a society. And Worf and Yar are like, oh, crap, we didn't tell Wesley about that. We know he's going to get up to some shit. So at the same time, Wesley's playing catch with the other teens while everyone else is having sex. He's off there playing catch. Um, and he smashes into a greenhouse that has this is in this restricted zone and has these flowers in it. And so therefore he's committed a crime. And so these mediator cops come out of nowhere and they're like, oh, you committed a crime. Now we have to give you lethal injection. Sorry. <laughs> so but the away team gets there just in time to stop them and say, hey, wait a minute. We got to talk this through. So they finally get in touch with Picard and he beams down and talks to the locals trying to get them to release Wesley. And they say they can't. And and also Picard doesn't want to break the prime directive by not respecting their laws. So he's in a conundrum of some sort. So they agree not to kill him for a while until they can figure this out. So Picard goes back to the ship to confer with Data, who is now unmelded with the ghost ship thing. And Picard's then able to make contact with the ghost ship and he finds out that it acts as a god to the Edo people. So Picard goes back to the planet to bring up one of the locals to meet its god, but this angers the god thing, 
and it starts to destroy the Enterprise. So Picard sends her back to the out of the planet real quick. And Picard seems not to know what to do, but he promises Dr. Crusher that he'll get her son back. So he goes back down to the planet and tries to transport Wesley back to the ship to break the Prime Directive with no creative solution. But the transporter signal is blocked by the God thing. So Picard tries to reason with it, saying that laws must allow for exceptions to ensure justice. And that magically works. And he transports everyone back on board the Enterprise. They leave the system and the episode is abruptly over. <laughs> so... Steve, what do you think of this episode, Justice? All right. So some things I liked. Great outfits. Oh, great fantastic. outfits on the planet. Just fantastic. <laughs> uh, I love the sort of a- absolute law reveal and that sharp turn from utopian to dystopian in about four seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I just love that was a very sharp turn that I really enjoyed. Whiplash. Oh, God. Uh, actually, a very good uh, Beverly Crusher slash Gates McFadden episode. True. We get good interactions with her and Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, like, almost saying that he feels like a father to Wesley. Like, almost. Like, he hints at it, nearly. (laughs) Um, And this might be some of the best acting in Star Trek to this point. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, Things I had problems with. Um, It is impossible. Like, they kind of explained it with the alien god aspect. But it's impossible to imagine that a society like this with such absolute laws could build a place like this with this tech without some deeper understanding of right, wrong, and how to execute law. Yeah, unless Too many important people would have died and information lost to all time for this society to work. I feel like the hinting at that the God thing has kind of made everything for them so they can just act like children have sex all the time and he takes care of everything else. That's kind, kind of what, of, but they, they don't really explain that or anything. No, 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 and they didn't show. Besides him interfering with like the the Enterprise, they didn't show him exerting really much other force. So That's it's true. Just, I just it didn't add up to me. Yeah, they need more explanation there. I agree. Okay, and so here's my issue. This is the first time in all of Star Trek where it has actually seen like the Prime Directive was serious. This is the first time. <laughs> and immediately Jean-Luc Picard breaks it. <laughs> like I was so like, come on, this is you're really telling me how important this is. And then you're immediately going to break this rule. Are you fucking kidding me? So I Jean-Luc. really had a problem with this, too, because I didn't remember this part of the ep- the ending of this episode. I agree with you that like the writing I thought was great throughout. The dialogue was good. Even the, the actress playing the Edo woman was really good when she was seeing God and she was really acting really well. Good sci-fi stuff. But then at the end, why didn't they do the obvious thing that would have made this episode end perfectly, which is tell the Edo people that they will kill Wesley themselves to honor their tradition, but really just give him that same shot that Bones gave Kirk in a mock time, which makes it look like he's dead, you know, for a while. And then yeah. they, they could bring him back to the ship, revive him. And that way they keep their traditions. They res- And then they'll respect the Federation and the fake God would be happy that his children weren't tampered with. And then they can still get Wesley back. Uh, that that would be perfect, too, because they even she picked up one of the vials earlier. Yeah, she looked movie. at it. That meaningfully. could have been the loaded gun. Exactly. For the rest of the episode. You're absolutely right. Yeah. They, someone screwed up. They, it's just it was so stupid and abrupt. Like, we're going to break the prime directive anyway. And like, with no consideration. Picard doesn't face consequences. I don't think we ever hear about this again. Here's the thing. He still broke the prime directive. I'm glad it all worked out in the end, but he still did that. He just took a gamble, basically. 
Or is he going to be like, they're like, so, Picard, we were looking over the records, and it looks like you really broke the Prime Directive here, and Picard's like, don't worry about it. An alien god decided it was fine. <laughs> so, no trouble. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. That, you still broke the Prime Directive. He's like, no, no, but their boss said it was all right. <laughs> so, in a piece of trivia later, they do say that this is brought up in a later episode when some admiral's going over Picard's record. So it is written down and he does hear about it, but you're right. He doesn't get punished for it or anything. He's just like, oh, well, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> then how serious is the prime directive then? Exactly. That's a common problem throughout all of Star Trek. It's like, stop bringing up the prime directive. if You're just going to break it all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, when you come back to Earth in five years, we are going to have a talk, mister. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it's the best episode so far just for the costumes, right? I mean. I mean, those were some good costumes. A lot of camel toe and moose knuckle going around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wild moose knuckle. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So you got, some, got some factoids for us? A couple here. Uh, the filming location for this episode was right under the flight path of the Van Nuys Municipal Airport, which meant that airplanes were constantly flying over the heads of the actors and entire scenes filmed had to be redubbed in post-production, which I... Did notice a few times listening on surround sound, like some of the dialogue definitely sounded wrong, like off. Um, so that was a thing. Uh, Will Wheaton, the actor, cringes to this day over Wesley's line, I'm with Starfleet, we don't lie. <laughs> Though he admits that in retrospect, it actually serves a purpose, showing that Wesley may be smart, but he's also extremely naive, which he definitely is. So Gene Roddenberry, the old uh, pervert, uh, <laughs> he apparently wanted the Edo to be wearing even less clothing. But the costume designer couldn't make it any skimpier without the risk of it falling off altogether. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I don't know how those could have been any skimpier. Um, this life, uh, li li life finds a way. Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> this marks the first of three times that Picard shows a native woman her home planet from orbit. This happens again with Nuria in Who Watches the Watchers, a later episode, and with Lily in Star Trek First Contact, because uh, mm -hmm. he finds it important to see perspective, you know, and. See your planet from above, I guess. Or nice. just a way of getting in bed with them. I don't know. So, Steve, what are our Trek Connection Muppet Connections this time around? All right. Well, in 1991, in Burbank, California, over 100 celebs came together, a group called Voices That Care, and they recorded a song in support of the U.S. troops. Uh-huh. Because they basically, the whole point was that they didn't want troops being treated like they were at the end of Vietnam for the ones coming back from, like, the Gulf War and the Persian Gulf. Mm -hmm. uh, so they all got together. Among these celebrities are some huge names. Kevin Costner, Denzel Washington, Sylvester Stallone, O.J. Simpson. Oh, God. <laughs> Paul Abdul, Frank Sinatra, Jimmy Buffett. But, I mean, like, literally 100 celebrities and at least 50 of them were A-B list. Sylvester so Stallone singing a song. <laughs> in this... So in this batch also was Melissa Manchester and William Shatner. Oh, ho, ho. both performed together in uh, this Voices That Care. What a power combination. That sounds about as good and cringeworthy as the COVID song that all the celebrities made. <laughs> That's right. This next one's a little looser. Uh, David M. Graves did stunts for this episode of TNG, uh, but he also did stunts for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. 
And as you remember, the original two Teenage Mutant Turtles movies, that, two, that, that, that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and the original two TMNT movies, creature effects, were provided by the Jim Henson Workshop. That is a connection. I'll give you that. <laughs> Blew it up. So tired. You blew up both episodes because they're so similar. Uh, both right. have people who learn from someone in the past how to do things, but their teacher was wrong in the first place. Uh, one of the Vienna skiing choirs saying he learned how to ski from Klaus <laughs> Noodleman, who also skis terribly on the Muppets. And Edo, people learning how to have a just society from their god, who was a brutal, who has a brutal system in the first place. So it was wrong to begin with. That totally makes so sense. So just a bad teacher. I like it. Bad teachers. Yep. Both feature people tumbling, the skiers in the tumbleweeds, and Wesley Crusher over the white barrier, leading to his <laughs> leading to his uh, conviction. That's great. Uh, both have a character who can't keep up with the rules and guidelines given to them. Uh, that's Wesley Crusher and the rules of the Edo people on Star Trek, and Fozzie with the dance routine that Pops give to him on the vaudeville number on, on the Muppet Show. Uh, both feature emotional female characters holding it together. Melissa Manchester with Don't Cry Out Loud and Beverly Crusher keeping her shit together while her son is captive. <laughs> That's impressive. That's true. <laughs> Don't cry out loud. Oh, I'm crying in the transporter. <laughs> so this is the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. So what you got for Steve? Muppets of Trek this week, I'm going to bring over the clowns and replace the society. So all those uh, all those are now clowns down there because it would be extra dark when they decide that they, it's time for the child to die. <laughs> We're sorry all we have to do this. <laughs> we have to pie you now. Oh, just a pie? It's a poison It is pie. our law. <laughs> what about you? Muppets of Star Trek, I'd have the creature from the Crab Nebula in Pigs in Space replace the God <laughs> thing in the Star Trek episode. Uh, the crew of the Enterprise would be desperately trying to translate what he is saying, only to find out he's just trying to sell them Swanko, the wash day miracle. I <laughs> uh, tried to Muppets this week. I'm going to bring over the orb god alien and replace the weird crab nebula being oh. on pigs in space, <laughs> judging the crew of the swine tra- trek and the law they live by. <laughs> it's a nice switcheroo there. I like it. Uh, Trek to Muppets, I'd have the Edo people replace all of Melissa Manchester's backup dancers throughout the episode because that would just be pleasing to watch. <laughs> it would. They'd it all would. fall out of their costumes. It's barely holding together. It yeah. is. And that brings us to the end of episode 110 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I did it. <laughs> Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Tony Randall. And the next generation episode, The Battle. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 